Mr. Smith, why would a man with your talent want to work for a hick paper like the Courier? Call it a challenge. You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter Death's waiting room, if you dare. And welcome to Strange Highways. I am Paul. Hey guys, it's Terry here. And uh, we have a we have a fun show to talk about tonight. We're going to be talking about season four, episode nine. See, I got the numbers right this time. Uh, Printer's Devil. Hope you guys enjoyed our discussion about miniature. That was a surprisingly sweet episode, and we liked it a great deal. Hope you guys enjoyed that too. Uh, so yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, like we uh, are recording a, a show about the Twilight Zone, which is supposed to be a thing that always kind of takes like a step into the weird. And I feel like we're kind of living in the Twilight Zone right now a little bit. Um, so I, it would just be weird if it's like we're like, you know, the world's weird. We're just going to just watch a regular episode of this TV where nothing bad happens. Like that would be the flip, right? That would be that would be the twist. Right. Yeah. yeah. This is like a nice little journey because it's not reality right now. Yeah, so but I mean, I like, digging but, it. I mean, this is the story of you know um, media like causing frenzies and things to happen. So I don't know. I just I don't know. Like, <laughs> yeah, uh, that's where we're at. So <laughs> I hope you guys are are safe and um and, and actually I feel like this is this is this is the podcaster's time to shine, right? Like I feel like you know, hey. Paul, what have you been doing for the past four years? I've just been putting myself in a small room with a microphone, hoping people listen to me. Now you don't have any other options, you yeah. know, like you got distancing down. Yeah, Pat. that's my. I was I just I was thinking about that yesterday whenever I was uh, uploading or this morning uh, with Invasion of the Podcast, where I was like, yeah, no sports, no movies, things are getting canceled. Guess you're gonna listen to my podcast now, like type of thing. But it all comes together. Yeah, I could just see sinister people, plan. People just being like what you are going outside and possibly touching strangers and they're all outside touching everybody like, you know, so anyway, I hope you guys are safe. Uh, I feel like this is the best time to binge things. So if you're, you're getting caught up on twilight zone, awesome. If you're watching along with us, awesome, but find some cool things to binge. Like I'm, I'm starting there. I have a whole like bucket list of like Netflix and Hulu stuff that I keep telling myself I'm going to get to. I have no excuse to not do it now, you know? So, yeah, I need to get back on that kind of like trying to thought. I just keep on watching things I've seen before, like <laughs> Married with Children and How I Met Your Mother. Oh, gosh. I, but Married with Children, like, granted, some of those jokes are even more cringier now than whenever they were first written. Yeah. I still love Married with Children so much. And it's like, and there's actually a lot of smart writing in that show, too. Like, I, that's, you're not wrong for watching Married with Children. Uh, but yeah, like, I, uh, um, I'm trying, there's just, I don't know, there's a lot of Netflix stuff that I'm like, I'll get to that. Now I have no reason to not get to it's that. It's all back burner for me too, man. Like I, every time we like lay down to go like just get wind down for the night, I'm like, what do you want to watch? How I Met Your Mother or Forensic Files. We always <laughs> like, I don't know why that puts us to sleep too. Well, there's like, also, maybe I'm weird. There's a certain like uh, rhythm to the things that you already know. Yeah. And it's easier. Cause like, I know for me, like, um, uh, you know, I will listen to, sometimes I'll listen to podcasts, um, to, to go to sleep. It's ones I've already listened to. So I'm not missing content. I just having that, that conversation, in the front part of your brain, as it starts to, you know, it's, it's good. I yeah. think I know sometimes some people can't do that, but yeah, I, right now having comfort food entertainment wise, isn't bad. I'm just saying, you know, we're all kind of like stuck indoors to go you know, alone together maybe binge some other stuff that you haven't had a chance to. Yeah. You know? And if you guys are digging this and you think somebody might like it, Hey, they're going to be alone in a room too. So <laughs> let them listen to it. Yeah. So. Share the wealth. There you go. Perfect. All right. So again, uh, this is a season four, episode nine printers, devil air date, February 28th, 1963. Number one film was how the West was one. Number one song. Hey, Paula by Paul and Paula. Ugh. 
Um, we've talked about that stuff already. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what I have for, I don't have anything for day and date. I don't know. Do you have anything that of, of important? Uh, yeah. So on this date, uh, Dorothy uh, Schiff, Schiff. Yeah. That's, it sounds right. Uh, she resigned from the New York, uh, newspaper publishers association saying that the, the city needed at least one news, uh, one paper operating during the newspaper strike. Her newspaper, the New York post would resume publication on March 4th. So I, I didn't know about the newspaper strike going on at this time. That was like, I saw that bit, mm-hmm. and but that does feel very appropriate that we're going to be talking about newspapers in this episode. Yeah, I, I figured, well, why not? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that is also, you know, that was why people's main form media was a newspaper then too. So that, you know, you like stopping that, people just don't know what's going on. Yeah, they're not know? informed. I yeah, mean. so yeah, a lot, a lot there. So I what I found was from March 2nd, uh, it, this is a sad bit of news, but it goes on to bigger things. Uh, the first attempted uh, liver transplantation in a human being was made by a team in Denver, uh, led by uh, Dr. Thomas Stars, Starzel. Uh, the patient, an identified three-year-old, died shortly after the surgery. So that's sad. On July 23rd, 67, uh, Starzel would perform the first liver transplant where a patient survived for longer than one year. So we don't know how long, much longer, but since like people just think organ transplants are just like plug and play, there it's like... The, the the difficulty is, is that the human body believes this thing's like a foreign invader the entire time it's exactly. in the body. So it's a very tricky balance. And it, it's unfortunate this happened on, you know, in 63, but this was the first steps towards a lot of people having, you know, be able to live and go on, you know. So, you know, not, not tied in the Twilight Zone, but at least there's like, you know, science was moving forward in a good way. Thank God. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, you just can't take another arm and put it on somebody. You got three arms. You can't just do that. Like, you know, yeah. <laughs> Some Frankenstein type stuff there. Yeah. Uh, there's a, a quack doctor. I, I listened to a podcast about him. He was all about putting um, uh, sheep's testicles into uh, men for virility. And this was like the 20s, 30s. So people were doing it because they thought uh, they thought it would help them with everything. Yeah. Okay. It didn't. It didn't. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't um, sound like a good idea. Yeah, no, not at all. So, I don't want that. Yeah, I don't want that either. Uh, I mean, that's like it, the the process in general. Not like not just because it was sheep. Like it wasn't just like you know you know maybe some other animals. Uh, n- other regions. No, that's not, not wrong. Piece. Put a different one in there. <laughs> right. All right. Mm. So okay. Did you have anything else for for day and date? Nope. Okay. Cool. All right. Let's get into cast and crew. This was uh, written by Charles Beaumont based upon a short story, The Devil You Say? Question mark. Um, actually, uh, I have in my notes here later, uh, this was actually the very first published story that Beaumont put out. No, no kidding. And it was in a, um, book called, I think it was called amazing stories. Yeah, uh, 1951. Uh, yeah. Yep. So this is actually one of like his first published work and he ends up adapting it for this. Uh, this was directed by Ralph, uh, Um, I'm glad you're saying that. Yeah. It, I mean, it's S E N E N S K Y. So Sinaniski, I think is how you pronounce it. it yeah. That sounds about right. His only Twilight Zone episode he directed, he would go on to direct a lot of television, um, like a lot, uh, like nothing of like important to me popped out, but you know, this was one of his first, first jobs directing and he wanted to have a career directing a lot of television. So yeah. good on him. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, only had like that. He did some Star Trek or Star, Star Trek. Yeah. Um, and he did. Uh, 12 episodes of the Waltons that would have tied in better. That's right. With yeah. Something else that we did. Yeah. But, uh, and then uh, made for TV movie greed of the planet of the apes. Hmm. I've never seen I, it. I, yeah. Uh, well, I, I don't think it's fondly remembered. Tre- oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Treachery and greed of planet. Of the oh, apes. Oh, well, that's, that's a much easier name to say. Okay. Well, yeah. yeah. It's, it's like for a TV movie, that's a hell of <laughs> a long title. There's going to be like, like malpractice of the planet of the apes, yeah. you know, like just, <laughs> insider trading of the planet of the apes <laughs> yeah there was, it was like a this uh money train that they were all trying to ride on you know <laughs> yeah, it was just like oh no the 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 planet of the apes stock market is crashing like you know banana futures are down like i don't know what's going on like they had all those suits and yeah, like, like sets it's like ah, let's just keep they're, on they're filming like Sam- samsonite uh, luggage no one will buy it for some reason mm. and also also put your money now and tires on uh, tied to ropes that are tied to things so there are swings you know that's <laughs> Anyway, um, <clears throat> I just want to mention that there's featured music from this episode from the, from that was originally in the Big Tall Wish and uh, Nervous Man in a Four Dollar Room, um, like the the very um, 
like the the very driving like ticking clock music you hear in the last part is very much from the beginning of a nervous man in a four dollar room. So it sets that it's a very good tense music. I liked I liked hearing that again. Like, yeah, there was it, some it good, is tense. Yeah, there's some good uh, good music beats in here. So yeah, uh, let's get into uh, the cast. So our cast we got Rod St- Robert Sterling. <laughs> So, uh, I, reading the name, like I kept on getting mixed up. I'm it's like, like, oh, Rod Rob Sterling. Sterling? Wait, no, no, no. Robert. No. Yeah. So Robert Sir Sterling. Sterling. Yeah. So he was Douglas. Um, he was. This was his only appearance in Twilight Zone. He was in 36 episodes of each Ichabod, Ichabod and me. Yeah. I, Is it Ichabod? Ichabod. I'm yeah. sorry. I can't read people. I'm sorry. And then uh, that's why we talk about TV shows and not books. Yeah, and then some uh, big show that he for him at least was uh, Topper, seventy eight episodes. Yeah, I was reading about that. It was, it was based upon a movie, and I, I think it deals with a ghost. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it, like all he was put, I, only thing I put in here was uh, wife Marion Kirby was referred to as the ghostess with the mostest, while Sterling's character was known as the most sporty spirit. So I don't know. But anyway, yeah. Hmm. I, I, I thought I saw this guy before. He has a, I thought he he looked like he had been in the Twilight Zone previously. You I know? thought the exact same thing. I was like, I've seen this dude before, but... He doesn't look that dis- like different from the psychologist from the previous episode. Yeah. yeah so that's why I was confused. I was like, yeah, we're getting him back to back, and it wasn't. Those two different dudes. Mm. Um, Who would have thought, like, you know... Uh, guys with like you know nice strong chins that like have the same haircut and they're both white and they're both in a black and white show in the sixties would look almost identical. Who'd have thought? You know, um, it yeah. was like his wheelhouse. Um, <laughs> so and then we had Pat Crowley. Uh, she plays Jackie Benson. Uh, the, again, only Twilight Zone appearance. Uh, she was on fifty-eight episodes of Please Don't Eat the Daisies. Yeah, that was a film that was turned into a TV show that. Um, cause it was a popular film two years previous to this episode coming out. Okay. It was, uh, uh, yeah, it was around the time the monsters are doing maple street. That was, if I remember right, that I don't know why I remember that. I'm mm. probably wrong. That's probably why I remember it. Cause it's not right. But, uh, so that was, that was the thing that I, you know, I'm not familiar with. I also know that she would go on to do a fair amount of soap opera work later. Uh, she's still with us by the way. Yeah. I saw yeah. that too. Yeah. yeah. Good for her. Um, and 251 episodes of port. Charles. So that I think I that's think, I, think I think that's, that's a, the show that you're yeah. talking about. But yeah, she was on that for a bit. <laughs> yeah. So and then um the one I was so excited to get to, Burgess Meredith. <sighs> I love him. He plays Mr. Smith. Yeah. Uh, this was uh one of four episodes his, that he yeah, was his, on. His last one, uh, we first saw him early, early in season one with Time Enough at Last, one of the most iconic episodes of the Twilight Zone. Uh, Mr. Dingle the Strong, a not so iconic episode of the Twilight Zone. Um and the obsolete man, which is just it is a it's a wonderful I think it's the end of season two, very last episode of season two. That thing, it just comes out swinging and it's amazing. Yeah. He's really good in it. So I was excited to see him again here because I love me Burgess Meredith. I, everything he's in, even if the the thing around him isn't that great, I love him. He has a, yeah. such a charm to him. It's just it carries so well onto film. Like I just want to like seeing him in each one of his portrayals. Like it just makes me want to see who he was as a person. Like actually meet him because he just seems so charismatic. He's charismatic, but like the first three roles, they're all kind of various forms of like timid and awkward mm-hmm. and this one not like right. he just comes out like i don't know like just just every time he's on the screen i just i just can't i can't wait for him to say something more ridiculous and, yeah there's and, a couple cringe moments but we'll, yeah we'll, get, we'll get to the other stuff yeah. here so yeah he was on batman as the penguin yes um he was of course mick in the rocky uh like f- four of the movies three three well i mean yeah yeah he, sh- he, was, yeah, yeah, he showed, showed up bits again. of him in part five yeah um, so then he was in the Sentinel. Yes. Uh, burn he was, offerings. He was the very beginning of burn offerings, yeah. which that's, that's a weird movie. Um, uh, clash of the Titans, which I absolutely love. I love that film. And he was the narrator of the twilight zone so, movie. The movie. Yep. Yeah. There you go. So, uh, yeah, uh, we love, we love Burgess Meredith and he, it's, I wish he would have done like a season five episode too. So that way he could have actually been throughout at all. But you know, like at least we'll get another Jack Klugman one, so we're gonna get you know some more guys that we like. Uh, yeah, that's all I got for Burgess Meredith. If you yeah. guys want to hear a, a continuing love fest for the man, go back and listen to those episodes. Yeah, for, of course, please. Um, and then so Ray Teal, he plays Mister Franklin, um, the other paper owner. We'll get to uh, this again. Only Twilight Zone appearance. There wasn't very many Twilight Zone like alum in this. No, no. 
So uh, uh, yeah, I have him as mainly known as uh, Sheriff Roy Coffee in Bonanza, uh, and he would be in 90, 98 episodes overall until nineteen seventy two. So like on and off that show, Bonanza lasted a long time. So um, I don't think I've ever seen an episode, but I know it was an important like TV western. Right, and then uh, he was on the Alfred Hitchcock, Alfred Hitchcock Presents. So, and then moving on, we got Charles Thompson. He plays Andy, uh, only Twilight Zone show. Uh, he was on Bonanza as well, and Andy Griffith. That, that's about all I knew him. Uh, from. All I had, a, he had a bit part in a, a movie called. Uh, it was from 1958 called Teenage Caveman. <laughs> like I, I saw that. Yeah, <laughs> like, I was like, mm, yeah, just, I don't I, know if I want to bring just, it up. Yeah, it's just when I I think of the, the Teenage Caveman, it makes me think of like the Who song Teenage Wasteland, where it's mm. like Teenage Caveman, caveman. like <laughs> <laughs> Teenage Caveman. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, guys. I don't. I know. I don't. I can't carry a tune in a bucket, and this makes almost back-to-back episodes where I've sang. So I, right. you know, you're welcome. Like I don't know. I appreciate it. I'm, I'm considered the songbird of my generation. Thanks, That's not Paul. True. Yeah. Um, uh, so yeah. and then uh, moving on, we got Doris Kemper. Uh, she plays the landlady. There was really nothing yeah. else that I had seen her from. Like she didn't do another Twilight Zone episode. Nope. I didn't recognize anything. It was yeah. a very short stint that she had for acting, uh, acting as well. Yeah. So, so I, mean, I don't have anything for her. No. Yeah. And then um, Camille Franklin, uh, she plays Molly. She was the waitress. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, nothing. Like I have so nothing for her. Either. She had seven total credits. This was her sixth credit. So her seventh one would show up in 1987's Undercover as Vera's cocktail waitress. So she went. What, like um, almost 20 years? No, almost, uh, no, 20 years, right? Yeah, 58, so 87. I can't do math. 25 years. 25 years. There we go. Thank you. Split See, the difference. Yeah, split the, <laughs> sure. Uh, without acting. And then like her last her last role was like years later. So like, you know, I thought that was kind of funny where it's like six credits. You're going to wait a little while and then get back in the acting game with one more credit. I felt the same about her as we felt about the guy who plays Douglas. She looked very familiar to yeah, me. Yeah, she and I was did. Like, it, it, she was a she was a pretty girl too, and I was like, "Have I seen her before?" Or what did what did um what did Burgess Meredith oh, call God. her? A big one for, for a big one. She moves fast. <laughs> I was like, "What the hell?" Like, like what the hell does that even mean, dude? And she's not even like a big girl. No, like. she might just be tall. I don't know. Like she just isn't like the typical. I don't like I don't know, but it was just like where like it it was funny because he was saying it, but I'm like where is this coming from, you know? Because like he, just ad libbing or <laughs> I don't know, I I don't know. Like, but yeah, I was just like, yeah, it's like just stop. Yeah, we we gave you the twisted cigars. It should be enough, right? No. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, that's all I had. Okay, so I have uh, Leon Alton. Uh, Leon Alton is the bartender. It's his first of two Twilight Zone appearances. Um, 252 credits, all are small roles, but I was like mentioning these people that grinded it out and got paid, you know? like It was a pretty small cast, so. Yeah. You know. I mean, I'm not saying that the bartender is like key to this, but this guy is making his money being background people, right? right. So good for him. Uh, Michael Chain as the paper boy, so he's the younger one. Uh, only Twilight Zone appearance. He did voices on the original Transformers TV show, and he was the story editor on the Rambo animated series. Woot. Yeah, that's so, cool. I think we talked about that we, last we, episode. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Uh, now we got to start looking for Rambo the animated yeah, series. Yeah, right. I think we're gonna. Uh, we'll, did you notice we didn't have any of the times? I, I went. I went looking for um, you know Hawaiian Eye and Johnny Midnight. I thought this episode would be lousy with them because I didn't know anybody. Yeah. But yeah. No tie-ins. Yeah. So we got Ryan Hayes as Paper Hawker number two. Uh, so he was the older Paper Hawker, I think. Uh, second uh, two Twilight Zone appearances. He was uncredited as Stop and Willoughby. Um, Bernard Sell as a cafe patron. Uh, fifth of five appearances. And the fact that like I didn't know this at all because clearly he's just a background guy. Mm. Uh, he was uncredited in The Trouble with Templeton, Stop and Willoughby, The Fever, and When the Sky Was Open. Oh, geez. So the, the one guy that I didn't even remember from the episode he had the most credits for yeah Twilight but he was Zone. like he was like uncredited like all of them so it wasn't like you're gonna like look you know for that so yeah he had one more than burgess meredith you know like he's just like stopping he's like hey 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 burge let me tell you how it's gonna go here you know like every time that rod was picking up a pack of cigarettes it's like hey do you got anything going on today yeah i said hey bernard you know come over here you know yes <laughs> um yeah so that's what i got for uh cast and crew so yeah, it's a pretty small crew um i it works for the episode. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. Um, let's just get to Serling's intro, and then we'll we'll kick off uh, Printer's Devil. Take away a man's dream, fill him with whiskey and despair. Send him to a lonely bridge. Let him stand there all by himself, looking down at the black water. And try to imagine the thoughts that are in his mind. 
You can't, I can't. But there's someone who can. And that someone is seated next to Douglas Winter right now. The car is headed back toward town. But its real destination is the Twilight Zone. I just feel like I was attacked in the first half of that intro where it's like, you fill a man full of whiskey in despair and put him on a bridge. <laughs> like, shut up, Rod. Get out of my head. You Why know, do you like, know me so well? Yeah, like, I just, I can't make money in this podcast game. I'm thinking about just, you know, jumping off this bridge. <laughs> oh, right. The money's not rolling in. <laughs> yeah, who'd have thought? You know, I've been like, well, how much do you charge for your product? Mm-hmm. Nothing. Well, that's probably step one. Like, that's probably... <laughs> Um, so yeah, uh, let's, yeah, let's just, let's get this going. So, uh, so, so Rod's intro, it kind of gives away some of the little plot lines that we're going to follow into here. Yeah. Uh, but so we open up and we're at the, um, we're in the Dansburg, uh, courier, yeah. Dansburg courier. Uh, Douglas is, is there, he's talking to like, like basically a bill collector and they're stressing about him paying his bill. And he's like, uh, the check will be in the mail, you know, it's like, and he's, he's super stressed out. He's got a lot of paperwork on yeah, his desk. Yeah, it's all papers on his desk. He's, he's yeah. fumbling around. He's just, now he's trying to find something, a cigarette. <laughs> Pack cigarettes. He gets mad at that, throws them. Uh, and then he eventually finds a bit one, uh, picks it up and then tries to find a lighter. It doesn't work. He slams that. And then he, uh, kicks over his chair. Well, he falls out of the chair to begin right. with, and then he gets up and kicks the chair, uh, you know, I was like, he also likes to slam his phone. <laughs> like he's just a very, you know, he's, he's, he's pushed, you know, and like he's, you could tell the stress is getting to him. Uh, so then that's when Jackie comes in and talks to him for a second, accuses him of being a gloom cookie. Yeah. Haven't had many of those. So what do you, what do you think? <laughs> a, what do you think a gloom cookie is? I thought that was something like you could get in Mario, like Mario Party, honestly. <laughs> like, oh no, you got the gloom cookie, and it's like, you know, you have to sit in the corner for five minutes and think about what you did. Yeah, you got the doom shroom, and then you got yeah, the, the gloom cookie. It, um, I think that she um, she said the words oatmeal raisin wrong. I think that's what she, like, I think she meant to call him an oatmeal raisin cookie, because that's what, that's the only thing I could think of as being a gloom cookie, would be an oatmeal raisin cookie. It, all right, so you saying that you don't like raisins either? I mean, raisins are okay, but if, if I'm going to have a cookie and it looks like the appearance of chocolate chips, you're, you, you're you, let you, pull, down. you pull the double fake on me and put raisins in there, I, it's going to be a doom cookie. Like, I'll be upset we about that. We are kindred them. souls, yeah. man. <laughs> I thought you were about to be like, raisins are my jam. And then, like, you know. Oh, I hate raisins. And then flip no. the table. Over no, every, like, time I, like, every time I get what I consider at that moment, when I look at it, a chocolate chip cookie, yeah. and I put it in my mouth, I'm like, Son of a bitch, they got me again. <laughs> so yeah, I think a gloom cookie is an oatmeal raisin. I mean, I'm okay with oatmeal cookies. Like, you know, don't get me wrong, but you know, that feels like that's like it's always like, you know, like, hey, what kind of cookies you got? Oatmeal, oatmeal raisin. Oh, I'm good. <laughs> so anyway. Never mind. We know what a gloom cookie is. That's what I believe it is. So it she she's coming to cheer him up essentially and just like calm him down. He he gets a light for a cigarette. Now he's chilling out a little bit but she can tell that he's stressed out like he 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 doesn't even want to talk about the situation like Mm -hmm. it's like more or less like the elephant in the room he just wants to excuse things are getting bad so all of a sudden as they're talking uh, another co-worker yeah andy the typesetter yeah the linotype operator and he looks he looks pretty beat down too and he says, that, "Yeah, he was I, only 27 at the time they filmed this. Oh, jeez! No, <laughs> <laughs> when he when he clocked in, he was 27. Yeah, that's yeah, what he walked yeah. in as. Um, and he wants to he wants to discuss pretty much where he's going. He says, I 'I can't do it anymore, man.' He's like, you guys are eight weeks behind on pay. I I can't live like this. I got to quit. You know. And he's saying that the Gazette, the, which is the the paper that opened up, that was like the big." like franchise rival type of thing is like smashing their business and they're going to, they're going to take him on, you know? And so he's not wrong to quit if he's not gotten paid in eight weeks. Right. Jackie really like, I get like why she's trying to push him to stay, but she attacks him and I'm like, I don't know if that's the way to play that, you know, but I I get that's how you got to move the story forward. But it's like, you know, Jackie's supposed to be a sympathetic character throughout the episode. I didn't like that look, Yeah. you know, but well, and, but she's, she has a bigger, stake into this like she loves douglas she's she is in love with him they they have something going and she really looks at it like a portrayal like he's done so much for you in that and it's like it's about survival lady like he he pretty much puts it out to her but he doesn't want to get into it with her and douglas understands like i get it man 
do what you got to do. And he shakes his hand and like, you know, but there's that, he's like, yeah, he's like, you have been a good boss. He does that weird like moment where he just kind of does like a side eye look at Jack. He'll no way out. Did you notice that? Where mm-hmm. he's just like, and just like leaves, you know, and we never see, uh, we never see Andy again the rest of the episode, but sets in motion the notion that I didn't mean that to rhyme, uh, that, uh, <laughs> poet didn't know it. Yeah. That, um, you know, that the cur- the, the Hansberry courier is collapsing. And so like, this is it. And so Jackie goes, to say goodbye to Doug and they kiss and he, you know, she's like, are you going to, you know, are you gonna be okay? He's like, I'll be fine. And then like, he's like, I'll, you know, I got things to do. Like see you out the door right now, you know? And, a good so. storytelling piece that I forgot to mention, though, as well, is that when Andy walks in, he can't really get the words out yet. So Douglas goes to the top drawer of his uh, desk and pulls out a bottle of bourbon. That's right. Yeah. And so it's like, here's a little a little fuel, you know. Because he's like, I know this is going to be a hard conversation. Talk right. to me. like so. Because I mean, Doug, as much as Doug is trying to, you know, on some fronts deny what's going on, he is actively aware that his business is failing. Right. And, you know. Yeah, so you're right. That that does come into play and later a, too. Yeah. That's a pretty beat up bottle at that point too. <laughs> yeah, so you yeah. can tell that Douglas has had some pretty rough nights. Yeah. So he sends Andy on his way to do his next bit, and he pretty much excuses Jackie to like go home, get some rest. We're all beat, you know. But he grabs a hold of that bottle, and you can tell it's going to be a long night well, for Douglas. So he says goodbye to her. And I want to point out. So he picks up. It's real fast, but I wrote the headlines down. He picks up a copy of the Gazette that came out like the same day as the copy of the Courier. And the headline, it's on this big, bold type uh, on the Courier, uh, not the Courier, the Gazette. It says, beauty contest won by Mayor's granddaughter charged a fraud, all in like big type, right? And then he opened, he, he holds up his paper beside it, uh, the Courier, and it says, Mayor Stinson's granddaughter wins beauty contest. And it's like, you know, it's not as big as font. And it's like, you know, it, it's not meant to like, you know, be in your face, but like, even though like you get the notion that the Gazette is like, it's trying to, it's trying to get your attention. It's trying to be sensational. And he just realizes that he can't compete with that. So he rips up the papers, grabs the bottles and that's time, time to drink. Yeah. And there's like basically the way that theirs is set up. It's like got big, bold headlines. It's got pictures on the front. And the bit of smut, like yeah. people love smut, you know. It's true. Like it's it sells papers. That's why I brought you on the show. I sell smut. <laughs> Wait, no, I don't. No, no you are, no, you <laughs> are am, smut. I am you smut. smut. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, gotta, I don't. Got to bring the sex appeal into the show here. So you. Yeah, there's gonna be we're gonna do like a 12 month calendar. It's just gonna be a cheesecake calendar of you, <laughs> like like with cheesecake. No, like you like a cheat. Never mind. Like, All right. <laughs> That would be my kind of calendar. No, like I the love Betty cheesecake. Page stuff. They call those cheesecake calendars. Oh, you know, I'm yeah. learning tonight. Yeah, I never heard that. Term. Uh, see, I'm the one accusing you of being, you know, a smut. So that's man. why you're I'm the brain. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm the smut man. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, so we go forward to a next scene. Douglas is driving, and he gets to a bridge area. And he's pretty loaded. He stumbles out yeah, of the credit car. Credit to him, though. That car didn't look like it was driving all over the place. No, so, yeah. like that. Like, if he, if it wasn't for the bottle in his hand and him getting out of the car, I'm like, he seems okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. he's good. He's probably technically sober for 1963. You know, <laughs> yeah. Imagine what the limit was back then. Uh, um, so he gets yeah. out of the car, and he goes to the side of this bridge, and he he looks over, and you can tell that it's it's not good thoughts he's thinking at this moment. And he finishes off the bottle and he throws the water and or throws it into the water. Yeah. And just this look in his eyes, you know there's a next step here. But right as he's pondering this, somebody speaks to him. And it's Mr. Smith, Mr. Burgess yeah. Meredith. Burgess Meredith, yeah. Walks in and says, Hey, you know, can I trouble you for a light? You know? <laughs> and the whole thing, like, and he, like, has this whole thing back and forth of like, well, he's like, you know where it looks like you're about to kill yourself. He's like, what? And he's like, you know, he's like, you know, don't let me interrupt you. But if you're going to try to do that, he's like, where you're standing and what you're about to do. He's like, the best you're probably going to do is give yourself a head cold. Like he just kind of was like, if you're going to kill yourself, that's fine. But make sure you do the job right type of thing. And it's, he's like very, very flip about it. And uh, Doug can't really make heads or tails of it. Yeah. And then he's like, oh, he's like, but I asked for a light. And he goes back. He's like, I don't, I don't have one. He has like a Cheshire smile going yeah, on. Like yeah. the entire conversation. The entire like, like, I don't know if it, it was kind of like, as soon as he walks into, uh, in the scene, you're like, 
something's weird here. This yeah. guy, you can't trust this dude. He knew what was up. Yeah, and I, I liked it. Um, he's like, if you're not going to jump, can you give me a ride into town? I don't want to change your plans on my behalf. <laughs> like, I love that line. I'm like, I mean, if you're going to stick around, can you give me a ride into town? Like, yeah, he's like, all right, so are you planning on jumping? He's like, why? You want to watch? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. They're getting real here. So, yeah, um, Douglas so, yeah. agrees. He's going to give him the ride. Um, but before he jumps in the car, I love this scene, too. He's like, he couldn't get that light. It's like, oh, did you end up finding that light? It's like, no, I don't have one. And he's like, that's okay. And he snaps his fingers. Yeah, Mr. Smith snaps his fingers. And, and lights it with his own finger. Yeah. And the, the the sound effect that goes with that sound effect, the music cue, is absolutely atrocious. Mm. It feels like someone took an Atari and dropped it. Like, it's <laughs> like I don't know. Or like a Moog, like the original Moog where it's like someone just kicked it real hard. And it was like, it's like, no, no, no. Like, this is not a daytime game show. We don't have to have. But you hear that noise show up a couple different times. I'm like. Like there's a lot of great sound work in the Twilight Zone, and then there's other times where they 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 utterly miss. Yeah. Like, and I'm just like, you didn't. Why? I don't know. Why. You already have uh, Burst Meredith like causing his fingers to to literally actually be on fire. Yeah. Um. Because that, I don't know if you have any notes about that or not. Like that's a that's a real effect that they did. I do have notes uh, on that, but yeah, yeah. you can go we, ahead. We, uh, we'll talk about it now. So they ran like wires to his fingers. And um, so that way, when they made contact, they would light. But they also covered his hands in like a lot of like protective material. And also, he would soak his hand in like cold water till it's numb. So then, when he like light it, like the the you know the fingers would catch fire, and, and he would quickly like you know shake it off. Mm. And it was like, really, that's the way you're going to do that? Like I just ugh, like that. It, it looked like he had petroleum jelly on his fingers. Yeah, was like ugh. yeah. <laughs> I have I have a story later. Well, I think I think I have my notes later. Why are my fingers burning? Ugh. Yeah, but it's like, yep. I guess they're just going to set Burgess Meredith on fire here. It's fine. Uh, it's cool that they were able to do that though. Like I really love the effect. That's like yeah, th- th- I agree. Um, there was an episode last season, um, the last rights of Jeff Mortal Bank that we had. Um, you know, um, Billy Bob Danboy, whatever his name is from Jess Bell. Um, what was it? Uh, Stevie Dave. I don't remember the guy's, whatever his name was. Um, the, the, Billy Ben. The, Billy Ben. That's it. Yeah. Stevie Dave. Uh, Turner. He, the, Billy the, Ben Turner. Billy Ben Turner. There's a bit in that episode where he actually like lights like a, a cigarette from his finger and it looks a lot more like smooth and like compelling. Mm. So I'm like, well, how did that work? Like versus what it's like, do they just have different effects company where it's like, I don't know, let's just say his hand on fire. Sure. Let's just do that. You know, like, you know, it probably took him a minute to try to figure that out. Like too much production time just on that alone. Yeah. Cause he had wires that would go down into his coat apparently. Yeah. I mean, I guess I just thought that might be like a more interesting way, but either way it, it does look cool and it is sudden. Uh, and I'm glad. And that, it shows that he's a more of the <laughs> nefarious nature. Yeah. So then we get to the Sterling intro there, um, which I wish at that point when he's like, I got a light and you hear whatever that Sterling would have leaned in and lit his cigarette off of Burgess Meredith's fingers and then went on to tell his story. Like, here's my intro after getting a light off of his hand. I would have loved that. But that didn't happen. <laughs> that would have because it would have been great if he was in the shadows behind Meredith. And like, like these solve. I got like, one for you. Yeah. yeah like, <laughs> I always have a light. Yeah. So, but yeah, so after the intro, we find that the two guys are going to a place called Cocktails. Uh, yeah, to get a go. drink. Yeah. So, um, Burgess Meredith, Mr. Smith, wants to join him. He's like, that's fine. It's on your time, whatever. So they walk in and they sit down, and the waitress comes over, Molly, and yeah. she says, Oh, you know, what do you guys want? He's like, You know what? Give me a, give me a martini. Make it a devil. Yeah. And give my friend the same, you know? Uh, Oh, she, yeah, she has I to inform him that like the owner is not going to run the tab. Yeah. yeah. Like it was like, uh, can I talk to you aside? And it's like, well, what is it? And it's like, well, your tab, you know, oh, well, okay. Well, what do I need to do? And it's like, well, he's only going to take cash now. And Burgess Meredith, this character. <laughs> like he just like Burgess Meredith's character. Just, he call he's it, so, it, Mr. Smith. Yeah, okay, whatever, it doesn't matter. It, just, yeah, whatever. I, I, he's so cool. I he is, yeah, he's cool. But anyways, uh, yeah, so Mr. Smith says, I got it. Don't worry about it. So he hands her an amount of money and says, you know, make it snappy pretty much. Make him, make him doubles or make yeah, him good. strong, whatever yeah, he said. Yeah, strong. And he's like eyeing her as she's walking away. Yeah. That's what he says. The thing, like when she when she delivers the drinks, and he's like, she moves fast for a big one, is what he says. It's like, ugh. And then there's a weird bit later as they're exiting the bar when he just turns and looks back at her, and I thought that was going to pay off, 
and that never she never shows up again in the episode mm-hmm. and it was like and he was just being like this leering guy which i mean that fits his character but i thought maybe he would have a fixation on her and do something with like with one of the stories later yeah i think he, they were just planting the idea that he's like a harvey weinstein <laughs> creeper you know yeah. so then at that point we find out like uh uh, Smith is like, oh, you're the famous Douglas Winter, owner of the Dansbury Courier. Because well, I I came to you to get a job. Um, and he tells him that he's a reporter and an alignotype operator. And it's like Doug doesn't. Really, he's like, well, you know, great. He doesn't really believe him, but he's also like, I don't have a paper for you to run or to be a part of. And they go back and forth, and eventually Doug's like, fine, show me if you can run the alignotype. And then so then Doug, who was incredibly drunk earlier in the episode, and still a little drunk in the cocktail place suddenly seems just sober as a stone walking into the paper. <laughs> like, I don't know why yeah. Not that that's important to me, but I'm like, wow, he snapped too pretty fast. And he had a double martini. Yeah. I'm like, really? You know, like, um, you know, even, even Don Draper would look at you a little weird with that, you know? Right. Like, uh, so then we get, uh, Doug working the line of type and I liked not Doug, Mr. Smith working the line of type. And it's this big bulky machine that like, I'm all, I know it ultimately, and it makes like, you know, uh, it puts out the letters for the actual newsprint. I'm not quite sure how that works because like these racks of letters show up, but I don't know how you do it, but that doesn't matter. The point is that it's, it's kind of archaic looking, uh, it's clunky, but when Burgess Maris is down and works it, it looks like he's playing a piano and he has that kind of efficiency and comfort that is just wonderful to watch him. And he has like his cigar in his mouth and just like hammering away at it and just being like, you know, just, you know, I don't know. It's cool to watch him do it. Yeah, he walks up to the machine like he knew like it like it was an old friend. He's like, yeah. oh, it's a good model. Sounds good. Fires it up. And it's like, oh, listen to that hum. And then so he starts, he sits down and he starts typing away at it. But he has uh, Jaggy hold his cigar. Cigar to begin with, his yeah. twisted cigar, may I add. Yeah, like, all yeah. his cigars are like these twisted looking things. They're yeah. so weird. I don't understand what the story behind that is, why the choice was. Uh, I have a little bit about that. Okay. Yeah. So so he starts firing away at that thing, and he has her put it in his <laughs> mouth. Yeah. Um, and he all of a sudden stops. And uh, Douglas is like, well, what's the holdup? He's like, it's done. Yeah, here, look at it. And so, yeah, basically, it's like, it's, it's too good to be true. And then he's like, well, that's great, but still, I owe too much money. And he's like, well, what do you owe? And she added it up. She's like, well, if you have uh, $4,861.23, and I, 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 did the, I did the math, and by math, I mean I Googled what the inflation would be, like adjusting it for inflation. That would be $41,000 that he would owe to various like places. So pretty it's pretty serious you yeah. know like because when i was first i was like four thousand i was like that's oh that's a lot of money you know so yeah and, and he reaches into he's like oh, i might be able to help you out with that reaches into his jacket pocket and pulls out and the pulls exact out amount. a wad yeah film, yeah or uh, money M- mr smith is he's he's you know stacked with cash you know yeah um so then uh you know jackie's kind of on the fence about this but basically um Smith is like, listen, I'll work for free for right now until you get back in the black. And uh, I'll be a reporter and a line type operator. And he's like, he's like, and that's whenever Doug's like, well, why do you want to come to this podunk town or whatever? He's like, he's like, I like a challenge, you know? And so this is too good to be true. And Doug, Doug sees his chance to get back in the game though. And says, you know, I'm going to do it. And he's like, what do I have to lose? You know, like, like being very obvious, like, what do I have to lose? And then cuts to like the next scene where, um, Jackie here talking and then they're mentioning Mr. Smith and then she says speak of the devil because he's showing up I'm like yes and that's when he says hey um, can we put on an earlier edition like why what if I have a scoop that can beat the Gazette and they're like that what do you mean and he shows them the headline and you hear that stupid music again that music cue the whatever Um, yeah and he finds out that he wrote about a bank robbery that just happened yeah like 20 to 30 minutes beforehand. Yeah. And so Jackie calls uh, the bank. Uh, no, no. He ca- no, Doug calls the bank, I think, to confirm. And he verifies it happened. So, like, they're surprised by this, though. But uh, they put the newspaper out. Everybody's like, you know, the newspaper guys are all stoked, selling a lot of copies. You know, life is good for a minute. Uh, and then Smith shows up with another headline. <laughs> Do you have this one written down What the, the headline? Oh, not, yeah. not the exact headline, but what the story is. Yeah, it's about the principal of the high school being a bigamist. He <laughs> yeah, has like, two wives. Oh, no. <laughs> like, 
okay. Yeah. That, that's that's headline news. It is in a small town. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, secret family, you know. But then, like, I like that, like, Jackie calls and she's like, I just talked to the principal. He does have two wives. It's like, who did he tell before this? Like, if, like, was it just something that broke? And then, I mean, I we know what's going on when we get to, like, later in the episode. It's like, so was she the one to directly ask him, like, mm-hmm. to kind of end up inadvertently confirming it? I don't know. But it's like, also, if this is coming out and your life is over, would you openly freely tell the newspaper? Yes. Like <laughs> even somebody who claims to be the newspaper, like maybe yeah. like that knowledge isn't even out there yet. And Mr. Smith had carnal knowledge of exactly oh, what was transpiring. Yeah. And like, it, it that's was, the thing that we discover more and more. Mr. Smith knows more than everybody else. He has a him. nose for news. He keeps saying, yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I just think it'd be funny, like in this day and age, where it's like, oh, such such going on, and it's like you get a phone call. It's like, hello, who's this? This is the internet. Can you just please confirm this? Oh, okay, internet, I'll tell you whatever you want to know. <laughs> right. You know, like, it's like, who the hell are you? Get yeah. Out of here. yeah like, get oh, out of my, oh, okay. Yeah. Get out of my business. Yeah. Um. So then that one's big. Everybody's like buying papers because you know bigamy's a thing, right? Bigamy's big for them. Uh, Courier's booming. Uh, they're getting subscriptions coming in. Um, like, and then the Gazette is like upset about this. So that's when we get the Gazette guy coming in. Mr. Franklin. Yeah. Yeah. Trying. And he's trying to buy out the courier and saying, we'll buy you, uh, but you can still work here. It, and Douglas has a smug look on his face. Like, it ain't going to work, man. It's not going to be like that. He's just basically telling him we're going to compete right against you now. Yeah. And I like whenever, again, it's a little heavy handed, but that's this episode isn't hiding what it is the entire time. Yeah, for Christ's sakes, the title is called Printer's Devil, which I guess is in reference to like an apprenticeship, like working on that yep. stuff. So uh, the Gazette guy is like, you know, well, how much would it cost to buy you out? And he was like, he's like, there's nothing you could like offer me. And it's like, oh, you're saying the price is too high. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna regret that you kind of said that. <laughs> like, yeah, and he, you know? he, he says, like, just in a hail mary, he's like, we have until seven o'clock tonight to get back to me. Yeah. Like, Okay. Like, oh, I'm, I'm doing you a favor. You know? <laughs> yeah. Like, get out of my face, dude. <laughs> yeah. So then he leaves and then all of a sudden uh, Smith shows up with like, he's like, Oh, I've got another headline for you guys. I think they're out to dinner at that time or was it? Yeah. Were they out to dinner? When I that think happens? they were just, yeah. Yeah. They he were, brings the, he brings, I, a, I think it's a, lunch. A, a, because they're in a diner. You know, yeah. I don't know. Sandwiches. Getting some strong uh, martinis. Um, and so he's like, I need my, I need my lunch whiskey, you know, whatever. Uh, and and <laughs> so then they, um, he shows that there's a headline he brings in that the Gazette caught fire, you know? And so now they're like out, like they're severely crippled in the area. And then we get this thing back where the owner of the Gazette believes that Doug is the one responsible for it. And he's like, how could you know? It's a half hour later and there's newspapers on the street. It's like your guy was seen right by my facility. <laughs> Like, with a twisty cigar and up to no good. Yeah. So, I mean, there's no way that Doug can explain Try to make it. trouble in his neighborhood. No. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just so, but like, so Jackie has doubts about this too. She's like, well, how did all this happen? Like, it does seem kind of like outrageous that this full paper was produced and released and out like very shortly after this happened. So she goes to have him confront, uh, have Doug confront uh, Mr. Smith about this. And there's just a line in here I like a lot where Doug's like, well, I got to ask you a question. He's like, what? He's like, did you set fire to the Gazette? And he's like, I don't understand your question. Like, and it's like, he's being a little coy, but he's like, it was a faulty electrical wire. And he's like, well, how would you know to, to, to do that? And he and said something along the lines of, I never write anything I'm not sure of. It's a matter of ethics. I love that line. It's like, you know, even he has ethics, which I know it's not really true, but I like that. He's like, like, he's like, I have my limits, you know? Uh, Again, with a huge smile on his face. Oh, yeah. Like, like he just, he just, I don't know. It, it's fun for him now. Yes. It, it's like a joke. It's like, you're doing well. What's the difference? Yeah. That's the, that's the look I'm getting from him. Yeah. You know? He's like, this is what you wanted, right? Like, And so then there's a there's actually a really cool shot in a minute whenever uh, he Smith says, I got another scoop for you. I was waiting to save this for you. And it's about a guy winning a sweepstakes. And, um, and Doug's like, well, how does this guy even know? You know, and he goes to call him, and as Doug's in his office, there's this cool shot of Burgess Meredith looking through the glass at him, but it's this reflected shot, so it looks a little bit more like ghostly while he's like watching over Doug. It's a really cool shot. I I thought the same thing too. I was you can tell it wasn't like a a true image. They had to do some doctoring to the the shot, at least from what I looked at. Yeah, I mean, I I wish I could have screen captured. I wasn't able to, but it was a nice a nice moment that you could have done that and made it very pedestrian, but you got the notice. Like he was like, you know, 
it's his his reflections like you know like on Doug type of thing. I I, I thought that was cool. This is and from what I've noticed too, outside of Jackie, this is the first time of doubt that he really had about Mister Smith. Like yeah. outside of first meeting him, but like Jackie's been somewhat of a voice or reason otherwise. Like she's gone in and like looked into every other story that he had. Now that Jackie's not there, because they got into a spat right, right before this yeah. too. Yeah, she's been kind of battling him about like, how do you know where he's from? What's going on? But it, so Doug calls this guy that's supposedly the sweepstakes winner and then hangs the phone. And he's like, oh, he's like, this time you pulled a boner. I just pulled. Yeah. yeah. I, lo- <laughs> I was I, like, uh, what? Uh, what? <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, and, and, and this is just like, what do you mean? He's like, uh, he doesn't, he didn't, you know, he didn't enter sweepstakes. And like, and, and uh, Smith is like, well, he did. He's forgotten. He didn't like check like his front, his mail or whatever. He said something like that. Like he forgot to check something specific. And then the phone rings and it's that guy calling back to the newspaper. Like I did win, you know? And it's like, so at that point, the the game's kind of up and Smith pulls Doug into his office and starts pulling the shades down. He's like, we, we need to have a talk. And I like that. He's like, this calls for a touch of the creature. And I thought that was a great just line. Um, and Smith's like, I don't have, it's not a Smith. Doug's like, I don't have it, have any whiskey here. He's like, check your top drawer, pulls out a bottle. And so then Smith lays out everything of what is actually happening, but he doesn't kind of, this is a, it's an interesting conversation because he's presenting it, not hypothetical, but like, well, you're a man of reason and you're, you know, you're a established man. Like here's, here's what I'm doing. And you know, I'm asking, and he's basically saying, he didn't say he was the devil, but he was basically saying, I can give you everything you want. This machine that I use, the linotype, I made some adjustments. Anything I write on it comes to pass. This is what we can do. We can make you the best newspaper man like, on the earth. All I need for you to do is sign this contract and give me your soul. And Doug like basically laughs him off to begin with. And he's like, you're crazy. He's like, well, what if I am? I like that notion of like, if I am crazy, then what do you got to lose? Like, what do you like? What? then you're just you're just basically placating like a crazy person so what's the soul yeah exactly like there is no doubt now then it's just a matter of me being the person of like rational thought here what's the difference like you're just signing a form you don't believe in the soul is something i'm going to take from you yeah it's like this whole notion of like as we both know the devil isn't real then there's no harm signing this contract you know and so like that I liked that because it approached it a little differently than like giving somebody something they really want and they know the cost versus him being basically being like, I mean, you know, maybe like, you know, maybe this is true. Maybe it's not. But if you, if you don't believe the devil is real, then, then what's the harm of signing this? And then he, like, he kind of like goads Doug into doing it because he's trying to play upon his intelligence and Doug falls for it right. and signs it. And then, yeah, at that point, like, you know, the die has been cast and they move on with uh, Smith then starts going up. There's this montage. It's funny, but I'm also wondering how they could have done it differently. Like he's at the linotype and you and you see like this uh, crossfade of like a building collapsing. And it's like he's typing this other story. And it's like of these people to canoe and it tips over and he just keeps typing. And then there's like somebody getting attacked in an office. And he's just typing away and you keep seeing newspaper headlines of like building collapse and like honeymoon couple dies in raft or whatever. And banker chokes wife and all these like outrageous stories. But like the way they kind of do the montage of him working with like, I don't know. It's just, it, it starts implanting an idea that he's at, he's at the forefront of these things happening at this yeah. point. Like he's constructing the destruction of everything around him. Yeah. It's just, I like this, the way that you, some of the stock footage though, was kind of like, it, you know what? It works. It was just kind of, it was, it was funny. Um, so then at that point, Jackie confronts Doug about everything. Uh, and she tells him he sold out. Like she doesn't really know the full extent of that statement. And at one point, she's like, "Well, that's no way to talk to like, uh, what was it like a like a future wife or something?" And he was like, "He basically is like, yeah, well, I don't really see that happening either." And she gets kind of frustrated and is like, "We're yeah, we're, I'm done, I'm out," you know. Um, and then later on, there's this back and forth that she has with Mister Smith too, where he has like an eye on her and she doesn't like him, but he knows she doesn't like him, so he kind of keeps leaning into it. Like at one point, he like touches her like cheek, kind of odd. And then another point, like he just confronts her and she just hauls off and slaps him. Yeah, she yeah. He, he whispers something into her. Yeah, ear. we never know what that is. Right. Yeah. And she obviously is offended by this and slaps him real hard. Yeah. And he is upset about this greatly. He's like, You're gonna regret you ever did that. 
Like he looks pissed too. Like yeah. this is the you're only... strong for a small one. He didn't say that. <laughs> it, this is like the only sign of like anger or frustration in Mr. Smith. Otherwise, yeah. he's been pretty happy the entire time. Actually, like you've seen a grin on his face almost the entire duration. Even when Douglas was about to commit suicide. Oh yeah, everything's been a big this big lark for him because he knows he knows humanity. Right. right. So then, uh, you know, Doug confronts Smith. Uh, Doug wants him to leave, and Smith says no. But if he wants to pay up with the soul right now, he basically is being like, well, you kill yourself, give me your soul, and I'm out. Yeah, that's a caveat yeah. to this situation. You want me out of here quicker? There's only one way to get me out. Yeah. You pay forward now. And and Doug doesn't want to do that, but then Smith is like, well, you know, he starts like going over to Linotype and basically saying, well, here's the story of, here, I'll show it to you. And it says that uh, that Jackie will be in this um, car car wreck later, um, like a horrible car wreck. And the story isn't finished. And he was like, right, "I'll give you, you know." He's like, "The last couple lines haven't been written yet. You you do the right thing here and kill yourself, and she'll make it out. If not, you know, the story could go another way." And that sets this like ticking clock. Yeah. And like, it's it's kind of a compelling moment of like, how's Doug going to figure his way out of this? You know? And- yeah. She's going to get into this accident. With this guy coming back from a ski trip at eleven thirty, like they really made sure that they drove that home eleven thirty. So. Yeah. Uh, so I, the, the the one thing I also appreciate this too is that um, so Doug freaks out and, and I forget he leaves for whatever reason, uh, and leave and well first he tries using a gun and shooting the you know the devil and he wastes three bullets and then Burgess Meredith's like we well, still got three left basically being like you only need one you still got three though. Um, so he leaves, but then Jackie shows up to uh, talk to Doug, but Doug isn't there, but she sees Mr. Smith and tells him he needs to leave. And he's like, I'm gone. You know, like, you know, I don't, I know I'm not wanted. Can you drive me to the airport? I was like, oh, I didn't see that part coming of like, he's going to be the one to make sure that crash happens in person. While at the same time, uh, Douglas is trying to track down where Jackie is. So he goes to her apartment. Yeah. She's not answering the door. Talks to the landlady. Uh, she left 15 minutes before he even showed up. So he's trying to track her down that. So basically in the same time that he she was leaving with Mr. Smith, Douglas is going back to the courier. Yeah. And so now we see them driving down the road. Yeah, well Mr. Smith drives too and he he drives like a maniac. Yeah. You know, which I again I like I liked there's parts of that sequence I liked a great deal and the music there is great. Like it does really give you tension. You see the one other guy driving the other car and you can see he's like nodding off. Yeah. Like it's it's not a sequence that we normally see in the Twilight Zone that kind of back and forth like that. I, I dug it because you can tell that Jackie is getting really uncomfortable. Also, this person that you didn't trust, why would you let them, why would you let them drive your car? I don't know. But anyway, he's a devil. He's gonna compel people to do things, I guess. Um so then so then Doug gets the idea in his head that well this machine's modified um and there was something said earlier whenever uh doug wanted to rehire his original linotype operator mr smith's like nope i've modified it i'm going to be the one to use this so that was set earlier in the episode doug gets in his head that if he writes a story through the linotype that it has to pass because that's the rules of the machine not a bad way to think about it like it's uh i was wondering if that was where i was going to go with it 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 seemed kind of obvious but i wasn't sure and so he makes us, he ends up writing a story about this car crash happening, but you know, Jackie's okay. And that he didn't understand that the actual terms and conditions of this contract with Mr. Smith and kind of undid it. Yeah. And he, he basically writes that, uh, Mr. Smith had resigned his, uh, his duty at the courier at 1129. So one minute before her death. Yeah. So he, he was out of the car essentially. Yeah. So when he the, the action happens, the he, he dis- yeah, he disappears. Yeah. So kind of like, for you know like it it's it's clever it's not it's not unpredictable but i liked it because it's like he, he like you he, doug found a way to thread the needle of saving her getting smith out and undoing the contract that he had so good on them but actually all played according to the rules of the episode well while mr smith is still trying to give him a way out because like while jackie and mr smith are leaving the courier he picks the gun off the floor and just leaves it in plain sight. <laughs> yeah, like, like you'll need this. <laughs> yeah. Just remember, Doug, it's right here. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Uh, so then, um, the next time we see them, they're, they're, uh, talking about like, Doug still wants to keep the newspaper going. We're going to, he's, he has a renewed fight and vigor. Uh, but then, um, they're going to, uh, like get rid of the linotype machine and just, I don't know if they're going to dis- disassemble it, but he's like, Nope, we can't use this one. I'm like, well, then where's it going to go to? And it's like, is it going to end up some place that, you know, 
they don't know that they're manipulating reality. I think you just take that thing apart now, if yeah. that's what that's supposed to be happening. But it's just this whole thing of like the movers are moving the type machine out and it's going to be a new day with the courier. Yeah. So yeah. Um, and then the Sterling outro is like basically being like, yeah, the, the, the devil's still out there. He's never really gone, you know? And it's like, that's the, that it doesn't go where he's not wanted. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's it. That's your, that's your episode. Um, yeah, uh, I mean, there was a lot that went on, but it was a pretty straightforward thing throughout, right? But the 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 story, the plot isn't why you watch this episode. Burgess Meredith is why you watch this episode. He is just just he's so great the entire time. Like it just so much fun, a different side of him that we did not see in the other three episodes, and just I I just loved his performance in this. I, I think he was amazing in it. And I, I, I really haven't seen anything that he has been in that I didn't dig. So another stellar performance by me, by him. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, <clears throat> everybody was fine in this. I mean, I feel like Jackie kind of got the short end of the stick somewhat, but even then she, she, even though she was like the panicked woman, she still tried to have like, she still was the voice of reason. And like, it wasn't like they could have, they, they could have been written a lot more shrieky and I, you know, would not, have, she's still sympathetic even towards the end, you know, absolutely. So no, I like this one. Um, you know, I, you know, it's, I don't know if it's one I'd revisit often, but I do, I was pleasantly surprised. Well, not surprised, not the right word. I knew I was going to like Burgess Meredith in this. I just didn't know what part of him we were going to see with this. And I really liked that. So, uh, did you have any other notes about like the actual episode itself or no? Uh, so yeah, so what you were talking about uh, with the the printer's devil. So referring to the title, the printer's devil was an apprentice in a printing establishment who per, uh, performed the number of tasks such as mixing tubs of ink and fetching type. So yeah, yeah. it was just an apprentice, yeah. So, <clears throat> all right. So some behind the scenes here. This is coming courtesy of the Twilight Zone Encyclopedia. I don't always, I'd always mention my reference books because I mean, I do use them every week, but this is from a uh, Stephen J. Rubin. This, this book is awesome. It's like obviously all things Twilight Zone. So behind the scenes information regarding Prince's Devil. Uh, the episode was based on Charles Beaumont. The Devil You Say is first short story sale, which appeared in uh, 1951 Amazing Stories. We mentioned that already. Uh, remember, remembered director Ralph uh, Sineski. The first time I met Burgess Meredith, he came in for wardrobe and he was going to be playing the devil. So we went up to the wardrobe department. Uh, Metro had these fantastic departments, wardrobes, prop furniture, whatever. Um, <clears throat> so he, there's a bunch of different things for, for Burgess to pull from, right? So then um, he stood in front of a full-length mirror and he saw him starting to try on the wardrobe. And he didn't just try on a costume and look and see what the costume looked like. He tried it on and let his body react to the costume. This went on for a couple hours, changing from one piece of wardrobe into another. Each time was a, was a different Mr. Smith. Uh, it was just exciting to watch a true, true artist. So the fact that like his outfit and the cigars and everything, that was him coming together, finding all that. So that's cool. I like that. Um, this is this is in regards to the, the finger effect, the finger lighting effect. There were two times in the show where the devil snapped his fingers and his fingers lit up and became a lighter. Uh, special effects uh, showed Burgess how it was going to work. Special effects man struck, stuck his finger in a uh, coffee can of ice, and then he ran a wire up and attached it to Burgess' finger with some kind of charge in there so that when Burgess snapped his fingers, a switch would be thrown and his finger would light. And he did it a couple times, and then it was time for Burgess to do it. I was reassuring him. I said, Burgess, he's assured us that this is absolutely safe, um, and you're not going to burn when you do this. And Burgess said, I'm not really worried about burning myself. I'm worried about not freezing to death because he had to Jamie's hands into it like ice. So I thought that was funny. Um, but yeah, like this Burgess Meredith actually took time with a wardrobe to find Mr. Smith and the fact that like he would switch outfits and kind of play the character like physically as he's like, that's awesome. Being the real character actor. Yeah. I, I dig that kind of stuff. Like the performance level of this, this guy was just amazing. Like everything I've ever seen him in, he just seems like a different a different guy every time. Yeah. So yeah, they said this was, it was a fun episode. It, it didn't try to do anything that it wasn't like, it just, you know, sometimes it's just, you don't need big twists and turns. Like, like the name of the episode tells you what this is the entire time. And, and you're here for, you know, the main, the main attraction, you know? So like, again, if people, if you've not seen this episode, sit down and watch it, 
just for Burgess Meredith because he was awesome. And I am sad now that we don't have any other episodes of his to to watch to talk about. So, but then go back and watch other ones. Go back and watch Time Enough to Last. Um, Mr. Jingle the Strong, maybe. Um, you know, but uh, yeah. Uh, and Obsolete Man is amazing. So, yeah, that's all I got for Printer's Devil. Yeah, um, it was good, yeah. man. I dug it. Yeah. Uh, I, I like this kind of storytelling, um, considering that we get the devil again. And we've had the devil in different storylines otherwise. And Charles Beaumont doesn't shy away from the devil. Like yeah. the Howling Man is very much a devil-focused story as well. Uh, his take on the devil is always interesting. I, I, th- Sometimes the way they handle Beaumont stuff on the show, it's not. I don't think it's always... He always thinks really big because you're writing stories, right? So like, you, he always gets weird. So sometimes I feel like just trying to get some of the stuff translated to screen is a challenge. But I love you can see the dark humor through a lot of stuff that he writes and I, and his, some of his dialogue is just amazing. So yeah, this was a fun one. Yeah. It was, it was interesting to see him being the devil being more of the storyline than a past episodes. Like just him being a character with the, the guy. Yeah. Like if know? they tried hiding it, that there was like this influence the entire time, I don't think this episode would have worked very well. I don't well. believe that. No. Yeah. So, so yeah, yeah, it was great. Cool. All right. So, uh, we're going to just rate this twist, which, mm, uh that the devil was the devil i'm gonna give that a one um you know using the linotype to undo everything you know i've seen enough episodes of are you afraid of the dark i know how this is going to turn out you know um i don't know where you like again the, the twist rating does not dictate how we felt about the episode uh so yeah him being the devil like that kind of showed its true colors in the beginning uh, even with the title but like the the linotype machine being a big part of like how things are influenced, I I would rate that about a three. I thought that was kind of cool and how like if it if, if you type it, it happens. Like I think that's interesting because it wasn't just the devil's influence. Then Douglas uses it and then changes. Yeah, how things it, depict it. It would have been like so in the in the short story. Um, some of the headlines were like uh, unicorns in someone's backyard. Like there was more outrageous things that was going on that was actually coming to pass, but they had to kind of narrow it for the show. Um, I think it would have been neat to see Doug like in the middle of all this, like, you know, like Mr. Smith is away and like Doug just in the middle of a bender going and type something. Yeah. Like and, an orc is in raiding a, a, I don't a know, laundry like shop. Something, you know, <laughs> like something, something, something ridiculous that he's like, Oh crap, that actually happened. Like, what did I do? You know, like maybe he would have went in and been the one to angrily type out like a fake story about the Gazette burning down yeah. and then being like, what did I do? Like thing that would have been, it would have added a little wrinkle, but this is this is fine the way it is. Like, yeah, I, yeah. there was a there was a Tales from the Crypt episode that was somewhat like this, where the illustrator, the guy from Night Court, uh, the judge, um, he's an illustrator, okay. and he just draws crazy things, and they all come to hmm. fruition. Yeah, I mean that's that's a like you know the word pressure word processor of the gods type thing where yeah like if you will it into the existence I know there's an amazing stories one like that too where there's a World War II pilot and the the belly gun the belly turret of a of an airplane you know like the bottom yeah, the bottom yeah. gunner and something happens where uh, they're in the middle of combat and their landing gear gets hit and and they know that they can land the plane but they can't get him out oh so like the whole th- the whole time is because his hatch is jammed and everyone just knows that they're going to land and they're going to do a belly landing and he's going to die. But he's like a, a cartoonist and he like, he's always drawing, drawing, drawing. And he ends up like, just like hoping against hope, drawing the plane with these big, like who frame Roger rabbit cartoon wheels. And he tells them hit the landing gear and they pop out. And so they land this plane with like cartoon wheels and they get him out. Like it's, it's, it's more of like, it's, it's awesome. I'll have right to check up. that yeah. out. I'm ruined, like I ruined one. the episode, but uh, it's still great. It's, yeah. uh, Kevin Coster's in that episode, too. Yeah, yeah. All right. I'm so, sold. Anyway, um, that's not an episode we'll cover now because we've already talked about it. Anyway, that's going to do it for <laughs> our talk about Printer's Devil. Um, hope you guys enjoyed this conversation. You can find us on Facebook at Strange Highways uh, there. You can email us directly at Strange Highways Podcast. Uh, you can find us wherever you locate your podcast, whether it be Stitcher, uh, Podbean, um, you know, Google Music, Apple Podcasts, uh, you know, wherever. Uh, rate, find us, rate us, and review us. That'd be great. And again, recommend to friends if you guys enjoy this conversation, you enjoy these deep dives and Twilight Zone, the more the merrier, right? We have a lot of fun with that. Yeah, if you're listening to this and you haven't checked out some of the past episodes and, you know, we're talking about season, well, 
there's talk about season one and two yeah. and three, please go and do that because we would really appreciate your yeah. your views on those old episodes. We yeah, like I said, if you've not listened to the other Burgess Meredith ones, certainly do. Uh, I don't remember the obsolete man. I kept confusing a character's name with the actor's name and flipping it, and it was very confusing because I confused it. So that I remember. So if you guys want to hear me mess up names, you can pick any episode, but you can listen to that one. Uh, but yeah, please, uh, uh, we do appreciate you guys listening. So next episode is No Time Like the Past. Uh, for our next show, Mr. Dana Andrews makes his first visit to the Twilight Zone in a show called No Time Like the Past. You'll see him as a discontented inhabitant of the 20th century who goes back in time, back to what we assume to be an inviolate past and violates it. Uh, a walloping performance, a strange and oddball theme, and an ending most unexpected in the tradition of the twilight zone. So, uh, we're actually, we're going to have a guest on two next week. We're going to have uh, a friend of the show, Trevor. Uh, he's a big history guy. So I think it'd be kind of fun to have somebody that knows history that since we're dealing with time travel and, uh, changing history, why not? Why not get some more perspective? You know? So yeah, this would be a lot of fun. Looking forward to it. Um, hope you guys have a safe week. Hope, uh, you know, just, I don't know, be, be kind everybody. Be patient, you know? Yeah. Reach and, out to your loved ones and tell them you care about them. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I got, but you know, I don't, I was gonna say I got nothing else. Uh, and if Burgess Meredith approaches you, you know, be wary. <laughs> Cause you know, the thing we've learned from this episode is that the media has become trustworthy since 1963. So, right. Yeah. Look at, <laughs> look at the fine writing. Things aren't that bad. Don't be such an old gloom cookie. I am not now, nor have I ever been a gloom cookie.